Christ is our living hope, amen. Let's sing praises to him as we celebrate a risen King Jesus. Does that excite you guys? Can we get excited about that tonight and celebrate? Let's sing this truth. How great the chasm that lays between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into this truth and through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul this is true we sing the work is finished the end is written for Jesus Christ is my
Father, you are our hope. Lord, for you have risen. We have a reason to sing and a reason to celebrate. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We have a seat. Yeah, you can have a seat. I'm Matt. I work with the family team here. It's really good to be with you. Uh, welcome to Fellowship Mosaic. Uh, we call ourselves Mosaic uh, for a number of reasons, but one of them is it's a beautiful word picture. Each of us broken in sin, either sin that we've committed against others or sins that have been committed against us, and so we say that all are broken, and then we say that all matter. If you look at a mosaic and, and it's maybe a little older and a piece or two are chipped out, you notice what's missing, and it's because every little piece matters. And so each of us here reflecting God, imaging and bearing his image. And, and so we come together all mattering. And yet nobody looks at a mosaic and says, those are the best tiny broken pieces of glass I've ever seen. They say, what a wonderful artist has shaped those. And so tonight we are celebrating that artist, the one who has, uh, the, the only one that is worth anything, any glory being paid anywhere, and that's to our God who we are praising tonight. So uh, a couple of things that I wanted to put in front of you. If this is your first time here, we, we are so glad that you're here. We want to know that you're here. If you came with friends or family, uh, make them buy you dinner after this. If not, Meet us in the foyer out there in the info booth, and we'd love to get to know you, answer any questions we ha you have for us, uh, all that business. But we're really glad that you're here. Um, we have open, opened up the, um, the Disaster Relief Fund, and we do this because inevitably when something tragic happens in the world, and the most recent ones uh, that we're kind of sending funding toward are the, the tornadoes in Little Rock, um, but inevitably what happens is you, a very generous body, contact the staff team and say, hey, how do we get money to people down there? How do we get supplies and resources to people down there? And so we, the easiest way for us to handle that is we just open the same account and, and the money goes in there and then we send it to partner churches already on the ground. And so uh, that opportunity is in front of you all. Um, and, and the reason that I trust the generosity of this body is because week after week after week, you are generous, and we're grateful for that. It's humbling to, to serve here and to know just the, the secret things that happen as, as somebody hears about a need and steps forward to meet those needs. It's really a cool deal. Uh, but we pray every week uh, this offering liturgy. And the reason we pray this is because uh, our God is a generous God. And, and I see that reflected in you. And so I don't, I don't fear asking you to pray this with me because you're a generous people saying, God, we get it from you and we want to give it back to you. Um, and, and so in a moment, the plates will pass. If you're a guest tonight, just, just pass them on down the aisle. This is, we're not asking you to chip in anything. You're, you're a guest here tonight. We're glad to have you. Um, but let's pray this uh, prayer together. Oh, Father, giver of all, Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. 
Nothing we can give could match your great gift to us, your son and your spirit. Amen.
Church, would you remain standing as we read the word of God tonight? Good evening. My name is Jerry Adams. This is my wife, Wanda. Wanda and I moved to Northwest Arkansas about six years ago to be closer to our daughter and son-in-law. Somehow in that intervening six years, we wound up with three grandsons. And um, also we've been blessed that Wanda's parents have been able to move to Northwest Arkansas in the last few months. So we feel truly blessed to be able to celebrate Easter with four generations of family. We also serve in the um, early childhood ministry as we have opportunity and we uh, do community with a great group led by Larry and Diane Shu and John and Joan Babier. Let us read the word of the Lord together as written through Paul to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firm to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me is not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take a seat. Happy Easter. For, for a good long time now, Christians, people who follow Jesus, have this tradition of how we greet each other on Easter weekend. And in case it's unfamiliar or new to you, I want to teach you what we do in the family of Jesus followers. One person will greet another with the announcement, He is risen. And the other person will respond with, he is risen indeed. So I'm going to greet you with an Easter greeting and say, he is risen. Amen. That is what we are here to celebrate tonight and to talk about. And by the way, um, I know some of you, I talked to some people in the foyer who are, who are visiting and connecting, and maybe you normally worship um, on Sunday morning. And for lots of reasons, you decided to come worship with us tonight. I do want to let you know that this is the Saturday night service is not just for Easter weekend. This is a, a part of the larger fellowship family that has chosen to make it our rhythm to worship every Saturday night together, 5 o'clock and 6.30, um, and we commit to live life together, to be in small groups together, and so you are always welcome on Saturday night to worship with us, and if you want to make Saturday night your home, if you want to make this congregation the place that you worship the Lord and the people that you live life with, we'd love to help connect you on how to do that, and so um, say hi to me or one of the team afterwards, and we'd love to help get you connected. As I was thinking about this weekend and about this passage, a question struck me. Does a story have to be true to have an impact on your life? Yeah, uh, one story immediately came to mind. I've gotten a little bit of a reputation for having a Disney illustration for every single talk I ever give. And so I'm just going to keep that thing going. Um, But when I first saw Inside Out, it was like this transformative moment for me because I, I did not really know how to talk about my feelings or even have awareness that I had them. I theoretically knew that emotions existed, but I didn't know what that was like. And as I watched this movie, I was really kind of freaked out because I moved at 11 years old away from the, the friends, the, the, the community, the sports, everything I loved. And I didn't know how to deal with that grief, so I just locked up inside. Um, and and I, I didn't have the moment that Riley has in the story of reconciling that so young. It took me about 20 years later to do that work. And so as I read, the, as I saw this story, that story really impacted me. That story helped me understand my life better. And I don't need Riley to have really existed for that story to have impact. I don't need Riley to have moved from Wisconsin to San Francisco And have had to find a new hockey team for that story to really help me understand my life. Is that the way the Christian faith works? Many have suggested that that's the case. They've suggested that we misunderstand the story if we try to treat it like something that actually historically happened. If we put all of our our trust and all of our energy in trying to defend that this story literally took place, they say that's not the kind of story this is. This is a story much more like Riley's story, a story that is meant to inspire us with a story of resurrection, a story that's supposed to warm our hearts to tell us that no matter how bad things get, they can always get better. I don't know about you, but I've had some other stories in my life that the truthfulness of the story really mattered. A few years ago, um, I got an email that was from somebody saying, hey, there's this really beautiful piano that's been donated, and they want a family that'll make good use of it to take it into their home. 
would you be interested? And I mean, it is the fastest I have ever hit reply to an email in my life. I said, yes, we'll take it. And then I went and researched what the piano actually was. Went, oh wow, this is actually a really wonderful piano. We always wanted to have a piano. And so I went out in the living room, they responded and said, it's yours. Here's where it is. You can come pick it up anytime in the next week. Really hope it blesses your family. I go out in the living room and I tell my wife and daughter, Cassie and Karis, and we have like a dancing around the living room, screaming, celebrating party about how awesome this is gonna be. About an hour later, I get a phone call. And the person says, hey, I am so sorry. There was this huge miscommunication. That piano was not supposed to be donated. It's not available. It's like, oh, okay, cool. And I go back and tell, I go back and tell Cassie and Karis, hey, it's not gonna happen. We're like, okay, that, that's totally cool. That would have been cool, but we'll, we'll let it go. Now, you know what? The story of that donated piano lost all benefit to my life when it quit being real. It wasn't like that, that story that somebody was gonna give me a piano had some shaping effect on my life apart from whether or not the piano actually showed up. No, the thing that made that story exciting is that something tangible and real was about to come into my life. It wasn't an announcement just to, just to help give me a new perspective. There was actually a concrete need, needs a stretch, a concrete want that I had that that story was gonna meet. That announcement was gonna meet. And when it turned out not to be true, that concrete blessing was gone. When we look at the letter that Paul wrote, um, Paul was a, was a man who had his life transformed when he found out that this man, Jesus, who had been killed, had actually been risen from the dead. And he gave the rest of his life to telling that announcement, that story to everyone he could meet. And as he's going through uh, the Roman world, telling this story, he's coaching Jesus' followers on what it means to follow Jesus. And he would go from one town to the next, and he had a special way of continuing to instruct um, people who were following Jesus when he couldn't be with them. Now, this form might be different to us. I actually teach a, a class of college students, and we were talking through the impact of social media on how we do things today and communicate, and I asked them, hey, if you had a friend who was pregnant before the internet, how would you find out that the baby was born? And they just stared at me blankly. Like I had stumped them. And they just like thought for a while, they looked at each other and started talking and trying to brainstorm, like how would this announcement get out to the world before the internet? And finally one brave soul goes like, would people like write it down and put it in the mail? It's like, yeah, that actually used to be a thing when babies were born, that they would send out announcements that the baby was here. That was, that was mind-blowing. That was Paul's way of telling people about Jesus and what it looked like to follow Jesus when he wasn't in their town anymore. So when we look at the letter that we call 1 Corinthians, it's a letter that Paul wrote to a people that he loved dearly to, to instruct them on how they can keep following Jesus well. And in the section in chapter 15, He's addressing a very serious concern because apparently some people in the church had started saying that this idea of resurrection, it's not literal. They don't actually, that's creepy. That's like zombie talk, right? Like people are gonna die and go into a grave and then they're gonna come back out of the grave. That's weird. That can't be what Paul meant when he was here. This must be, the idea of a resurrection must be some kind of a metaphor, 
And so Paul is writing to address that idea that when we talk about the resurrection, we're just talking about a, a metaphor, something not literal that takes place. And so this is what he says in his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 1. He said, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel. The word gospel, it means the good news that I announced, the story I told you. I want to remind you about the story I told you. The one that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. It is by this story, this gospel, that you're saved. This story is the thing that's going to save you. This is the thing that you've put your faith in if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. Apart from trusting in this story, in this announcement, there's no salvation in this Christian faith. And this is the story, he says, this is what I received, this was the story I heard that I passed on to you as the first importance, the most important thing, that Christ died for your sins according to scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Paul says there are two key events, two things that happened that the scriptures, the, the holy writings from God, told us what happened, and they have significance for our lives. One, Jesus Christ literally, actually died. He was hung on a cross and killed. And then three days later, he rose from the dead back to life. And Paul gives two pieces of evidence like really tangible, get your hands dirty kind of things to say, I am not talking about a metaphor here. I'm talking about something that happened. Jesus died and was put in a tomb. He was buried. That There was an idea um, in, in this time in Jewish culture because they had experiences where somebody thought they were dead and then they started breathing and came back again. That happened. But they had a cultural phrase that to be in the ground three days was gone. You are dead, dead. It might be equivalent to our phrase six feet under or dead as a doornail. Like when you're dead and in the ground three days, you're really, really dead. So Paul says Jesus was really, really dead. He was buried. They put him in a tomb. And then he rose from the dead. And in case you think I'm, I'm making stuff up here, he went around and talked to people, and he starts listing names of people who were still alive. He went to Cephas, who we also know as Peter. He went to the 12. In fact, he went and spoke to a group of 500 people. Some of them are even still alive to this day, Paul says. You can go ask them. Some of them have died, but some of them are still around. This thing happened. And then Jesus even showed up and talked to me, Paul, he says. I was the last one added to this crew, almost like one born at the wrong time because I came so much later. So what is the implication of this? Why does this matter? In verse 12, Paul draws out why it is so crucial that this historical event is not just a heartwarming story, but it's something that the truthfulness of changes everything. He says, in verse 12, if you're preaching that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection? If there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. 
Does that statement sound bold to you? That, I mean, this is a black and white statement. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, the Christian faith is useless. And the point here is sometimes we can, we can turn the Christian faith into a helpful social activity to give us a little bit better families, to maybe help our kids grow up a little bit better. It's a good social bonding thing to do. It's good for the country to have good churches around. Paul says, if this resurrection didn't happen, the entire Christian faith is a complete waste of time. Why is that? You see, when, when the original people who proclaimed the gospel called people to follow Christ, he called them to leave everything for him. He called them to be willing to suffer for Jesus. Sometimes we can lose this in a, in a culture that is so generally accepting. Many of these early followers were martyred. They were murdered by Rome for their faith. If Jesus didn't really rise from the dead calling people to go die for this faith, it's beyond foolish, it's evil. It would be wicked to call people to give up their lives and die for something that is a lie. He says this faith is useless if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. More than that, he says in verse 15, we have been found to be false witnesses about God. How serious would that be to go out and tell the world this is what God's like and they're lying about him? Eternal matters are at stake here. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And listen to this conclusion. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. You know what that word feudal means? In my mind, like I always go sci-fi villain here who says resistance is futile, right? The idea is there is no amount of effort that you can apply that will give you any progress or victory. If Christ is not raised, then everything we try to do to overcome our sin is a waste. It's gonna give you no progress. It's gonna give you no victory if Christ is not raised. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. This phrase, fallen asleep, is, is a euphemism for death. Similar to our phrase, pass away. He's saying, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then the loved ones who have died are lost to us forever. This is the real concrete need that the resurrection meets. It's not being preached as just a heartwarming story to stay hang in there on your darkest night because something good is coming. The promise of resurrection is life itself, that death is not the end. And Paul says if Christ didn't rise, that hope is gone. In verse 19, he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying, look, if, if our faith is only about what it gets us in this life, people should look on us with pity because we're giving up everything to follow Jesus. We're willing to die for him. And that's stupid. 
if we're choosing to, to be willing to die for Christ for hope of eternity, and there is no eternity, that's not a heartwarming story, that's a tragedy. But then Paul turns the corner. He's been doing this really dark what-if thing the whole time, and now he's going to tell us what is true. But, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That idea of first fruits is so important. It's crucial to what Paul's going to say here. First fruit means it's the thing you get to see first that promises what everything else is going to be like. If I had a seed that I didn't know what it was, and I just decided I'm going to go plant this in the backyard and see what happens, and up comes a tree, and because this is a very true-to-life story because I know nothing about plants, so I would have no idea what kind of tree this was even as it started growing. And I'm watching this tree grow, and then one day I walk out, and there's an apple hanging from that tree. Do you know what I can count on? There is only one kind of fruit that that tree will ever produce. What's it going to make? Apples. That tree is not going to spontaneously start growing oranges. It's not going to start growing bananas. The first time I see an apple grow on that tree, I know what that tree is. It is an apple tree, and it's going to keep making apples. What Paul says is when Jesus rose from the dead, he was like the first fruit that shows us the destiny for every other human that trusts in Jesus. This is what Christ produces. Resurrection, new life. In the same way you can count on an apple tree to keep being an apple tree, you can count on Christ to keep giving resurrection and new life. So he goes on, he says, Christ is the first fruits for all who've fallen asleep. He says in verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. He's referring back to the story that maybe you've heard from Genesis chapter three, where the place that this whole sin and death and darkness thing all began with the first couple, Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God. And, and he's saying there's this kind of beautiful symmetry to the story that just like death and pain started with Adam and spread to all of us, now new life and resurrection begins with Christ and comes to us through the preaching of this story. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruit, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Listen to verse 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Now we get another aspect of the resurrection. Uh, Paul's been talking about the, the, the darkness of death and that the resurrection of Jesus means that death is not the end of the story. There's hope of resurrection, but now he talks about kingdom. We, we've been in a series looking at one of the darkest kingdoms Israel ever saw in both the book of Esther and the books of Dan book of Daniel. We looked at the Babylonian, the Persian kingdom. And we talked about this pattern throughout history of these kingdoms rising up that just crush and destroy and oppress. See, our, our only problem on earth is not just my own personal stuff, my own personal sin, the fact that I break down and die. There's also a problem the world is broken And you see, if Jesus showed up and said that he was king and he was going to make everything right, and then he gets killed by one of the strongest empires ever in Rome, and he just stays in the grave, Jesus has zero power to make the world right. Dead men don't fix the world. 
And he said, but because Jesus rose, not only will he rise us to life, but he's actually going to fix this place. He's actually going to end all of the kingdoms and all of the structures and all the power that makes the world such a hard place. Because behind all of that structure is Satan, the accuser, that is out to seek and to kill and destroy. And Paul says Jesus is going to defeat him too. And he's going to defeat those kingdoms and bring in a new kingdom. And in verse 25, it says, For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Paul says, we need the resurrection story to be true because we have a real problem. The problem is not just a perspective shift that needs to happen. Inside Out was powerful for me because I, had, I needed a perspective shift. I need to understand my story differently. And, and a lot of stories are really helpful for that. But if I had a broken leg, Inside Out would not reset the bone. That's a different kind of problem that needs a different kind of solution. And, and Paul says, in this life we have three significant enemies. We have the enemy of our own sin. The, and sin is, is what happens when we go against God and the way he has designed and commanded life on earth to work. And that produces guilt. And that breaks our relationship with God and everyone else. Paul says we have a guilt problem because of sin. And we need forgiveness. And out of that, we have an enemy called Satan. And Satan is just messing everything up in the world. Satan is behind dark structures and powers that make this world so difficult. And then we have a death problem. We have a problem that bodies break. People get sick and they don't get better. Paul says we need the resurrection of Jesus to be true because we need someone that can defeat these enemies. Now, in what I do as a pastor, I, I often get a, a unique window into people's lives as they wrestle with these enemies. And my guess is everyone in here probably feels one of these today in a more pronounced way than the others. You might not feel all of these as heavily at the same time. Some people in this room might be just crushed by the weight of guilt. I have been there in my own life where I have felt the guilt and the shame of my sin weighing on me so heavily that it felt like I physically couldn't stand up because the guilt was so heavy. And it seemed like something I could never overcome. In fact, I would say it was futile for me to try to overcome that. Maybe, maybe you're feeling the weight of outside forces coming against you. Maybe it's a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. Maybe it's somebody who should have loved you and been there for you that betrayed you. In some way, you feel like you have enemies that are pressing against you in a way that is un in unjust and not fair, and you need a defender that's gonna make things right. Or maybe right now you are just beaten down by the devastating pain of death by the devastating loss of bodies that break 
Maybe it's your own body. Maybe you're feeling the pain of sickness. Maybe it's that of a loved one. And you need a healer that will bring new life. What the resurrection story shows us is it shows us a savior who said, give me all three in the biggest doses you have to give. He said, heap all of the guilt and the shame on me of every sin that's ever been done. He felt the depth of shame. When we tell the story, we don't always emphasize this, this man, he was literally stripped naked and strung up in front of a crowd and beaten bloody. He felt the depth of shame, of being accused, of being rejected. He took the force of the, the strongest empire the world had ever seen in Rome and the persecution of Satan himself. And he said, bring it. And the infinite, eternal God, who is the source of life, said, I'll experience death. Give me a body so I can know what it's like for a body to break. And when he was laid in the tomb, those three enemies looked victorious. Can you imagine? I mean, this is like the ultimate underdog story, right? The creator God of the universe says, let's go to battle and they win. This looks like their Cinderella story moment. Jesus is defeated. He's buried in the grave. And if the story ends there, then you're trapped in your guilt forever. Sin and guilt win. If the story ends there, then this world isn't getting any better. Satan's gonna reign. The kingdoms of this world are gonna continue to do horrible things and no one's gonna come make it right. And if the story ends there, then death is the end of the story. And our loved ones are truly lost forever. But on the third day, in a little rock cave, a corpse took a breath. The lungs were filled. The heart started beating and blood started pumping through that body. It was a moment that shook the earth. It shook the universe. It shook all of reality. As after the strongest enemies that humankind has ever seen were thrown at Jesus, he crushed them. And when he walked out of that grave, he had something very real to offer us. He said, I took your sin so that I can offer you forgiveness. I took on Satan and the powers of this world so that I could offer you justice and make things right. And he took on death so that he could offer us resurrection life. Because Jesus is alive, our sins are forgiven, Satan is defeated, and death will end in new life. Jesus didn't rise, our faith is useless. But the good news is, he is risen. So our invitation this Easter is to trust. Place your trust wholly in him. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, don't let go of the very real benefits 
Don't let the lie that you're still in your sins crush you. And Jesus didn't promise us that we'll never feel the pain of these enemies again. Christians still die. Christians still suffer injustice, and Christians still sin and feel the sting of their sin. We still feel the pain of the enemies. But just like Jesus is the first fruit of what is to come, we have a picture of how this ends. Our sins are forgiven. Our enemy is defeated. And the last enemy to be defeated is death. If you've never trusted Jesus before, if this, is, if this is new to you, if this story, if you hear it and go, I want to believe this story is true and I wanna follow him, I wanna invite you to begin that journey tonight. On the one hand, you trust Jesus and immediately you're a child of God and your life is forever changed. And on the other hand, it is the beginning of a journey of walking with him for the rest of your life. So I wanna invite you tonight to begin that journey of walking with Jesus. We're gonna pray in a moment. And I encourage you to tell him. Wherever you are in that journey, whether you've been following him for years or whether this is new, tell him tonight about your trust. And then tell someone else because we would love to join you in the journey of following Jesus. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the courage, for the sacrifice that you took on the enemies that should have been ours and that we were nevertheless futile to defeat. Thank you for the good news of resurrection, that death is defeated and that you have won. Lord, this Easter weekend, we celebrate that our King is alive, the first fruit of the destiny of all who have faith in you. We celebrate you and we trust you. We praise things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just take a moment to be with the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit what he might be saying to you? In light of his resurrection,
guys stand and continue in our worship tonight.
sing hallelujah the lamb is overcome we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah the lamb is overcome we sing hallelujah we sing hallelujah we sing alone that we are here today. It's in Christ alone that we get to worship him. So let's sing this one last song together as a family. It's where our hope is. It's our light. Let's worship him. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless faith, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he
lifting it in there. Amen. There in the ground, his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious Crazy is the risen King, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for a great time of worship with our church family. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord and the people said. Thanks be to God. See you next week, friends.